Welcome to episode 903 of I Am Talk, your weekly fix in all things Iron Man. Radio team, welcome along to episode 903 of I Am Talk with Coach John, Yusin, Bevan, James. Oh, the big question is, mm. is the Christmas tree up? Yeah, our Christmas tree is about, what, 40, 50 centimetres tall, I'd say. That's like disappointing, that. John. Yeah, no, we, 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 especially when we're not here at Christmas time, because we leave on You're the here for the month leading up to Christmas time. This is true, this is true. Allergies in the family prevent having the old classic Christmas tree, yeah. which I used to enjoy. Yeah, yeah. Look at my tree, it's amazing. It's mm. not real. Only one present under there, though. <laughs> true. Got, got, <laughs> Just insult me. Yeah. So, no, Christmas is coming, but, and the presents are bought, but oh. the tree is... See, we haven't bought the presents. Oh, no, jeez, we're onto it. Everything's done. Well, I'm getting an operation on Thursday, so I figure time off work. Right. We're going on a Monday. Online shopping. Yeah. I oh, know, mm. I don't know. Do you online shop? Yep. Yeah, quite a bit. What do you buy? Everything that doesn't require me to try it on. Oh, right. Yeah. I'm never really online shop. Yeah. Where's your favourite place? Uh, at the moment, it's probably outdoor equipment, you know, tramping stuff. Oh, yeah. You're right into that right now, don't you? Oh, yeah, yeah. That's yeah. a new, th- yeah. new thing. That's right. Where all the cool kids are at. That's where all the cool I am talking proudly brought to you by our awesome patrons. We've got Christine the Grinder McKinley, Colette Coasting Andrews. And we've got Mike Pizzles, Wizzle, Pizzle. That's right. Good old Mike. He, he, he ruined with us. He did. Came to Cone a few years ago. Yeah. I am uh, news. This week's show, we've got some news. We've got Hot Topic. Uh, we've got Interview. We've got a random high five. And then we've got Winger of the Week and Questions and the Answers. So, Jombo. News. We had a few pro races happen over the weekend. John's got his phone out because none of the technology is working. So, we're, I'm in Western Australia. And they, they updated me at the end of the swim and then the bike. Oh, and the, 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 the emails. Yeah. 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 Don't get that often. No, onto it. So fast yeah, race, fast racing. Should we be keep being surprised by this fast racing? Like we keep going, oh my god, that's so fast, and it's like it's the norm now. Yeah, but it, it really was uh, extremely fast. Um, so we had, uh, you see, PTO. The PTO site is down at the moment, so I'm working off uh, a couple of different devices. Good old Torsten comes to the rescue though um, with TryRating.com for your source of all information. If you want to go find out about records and things like that. Torsten's got it there. He's got course records. He's got Ironman rating. He's got regional records. He's got all he's sorts a, he's of He's a geek stuff. for a reason, isn't he? He is. Yep. Um, so his little analysis here uh, has often been the case in recent years. Ironman Western Australia has been a fast final race of the year. This year, conditions seemed especially favourable and the bike and run were even quicker than normal. Um, so on the men's side, Matt Burton rode a sub four-hour bike leg, improving his bike rec- course record. Uh, and Daniel Beckengard set a new run course record with a 2.37, improving from last year, which was done by Max Newman. Also, an overall course record beating Alistair Brownlee's 2019 time. Uh, on the women's side, we saw a new bike course record by Lisa Norden and a new course record by Fenella Langridge, both improving on Theresa Adams' times from 2019. Um, Lisa's bike time is also quicker than Daniela Reef's bike time from Challenge Rote this year and is now the quickest Ironman bike time. There you go. So there you go. What was, it, what was the time again? It was, so on the female side, she, Fenella Rangridge, rode, uh, no, sorry, Lisa Norden rode a 4.21. Holy shimoli. Yeah. 4.30 is 40k an hour average. That's amazing, isn't it? Yeah. 
421 is faster than, you know, back in the day. There was a fast cyclist, wasn't it? That was like a Bjorn Anderson or somebody like that riding. That's just mental. It's amazing, isn't it? So female side, it was um, uh, in the end a relatively comfortable victory for Fenella Language, but she had to work for it on the run. She came home with a 3:03 marathon fastest of the day um, to run down Lisa Norton. So she finished at 8:29.43, take home 12,000 US smackers. Lisa Norton was second, um, just sort of about. Three minutes back or so, uh, and Lottie Wilms from Denmark, from the Netherlands, was another seven minutes back in third. Elsvis a fourth, and Chloe Lane fifth. So pretty small field, but good racing. Everybody got a payday, which is always nice. Um, even last place finisher in the female, she did ten hours, but still got fifteen hundred bucks US. So good on her. So you you've got here next up um, that the interesting to see the results between short course and long course. At oh, the we haven't even talked about boys yet, Bevan. Oh, sorry, steady on, Eddie. Sorry. sorry. Um, so Daniel Backengard, he took out the boys' race, running a two thirty seven marathon for a seven thirty four twenty three. Uh, one by six minutes are relatively comfortable, but he did have to deal with a few of the Aussies on the bike and stuff. But um, Matt Burton st- still you know, ran a 2.44. It's not like it's a rubbish run. Wait, what, do you um, think, what do you think humanly possible is? Um, do you think we could get under seven? Mm, well, they did that with that non-drafting yeah, the drafting but, one. Uh, but humanly possible. 34 minutes, that's a lot. Yeah. No, I don't think so. So what, what do you think, you know, like... Because um, there's got to be, there's got to be a, there has to be a limit. Well, Dan, Daniel Beckengard is one of the better athletes in the world, but he's not the best. So if we, if we, if we thought who's the best in the world at the moment, you're thinking they're going to swim a bit quicker than that, maybe 45 on a good day. Um, definitely can can bike a bit quicker than that. So that's a, you know, they've got a 403 there. I'd say, you know, if if somebody went ballistic and had an awesome day, maybe a 350 is possible. Um, and then you know. 2.30 on the marathon. I mean, those numbers seem crazy, but if you're thinking, if somebody, some freak came along yeah, and just had this amazing day, well, so you do the math, 2.30 two plus 4, 4 uh, but plus 3.50. 45 so is 3.15 plus what? 5.20, five, five oh, God, I don't know. So you've got 45 and 3.15 for the marathon and swim, plus what for the bike? Uh, for uh, 3.50. So 3.50... Okay, so it's four this hours. This is a test of how bad our maths is. Wait a second, so what was it, 3.15, take away, it's about 7.05. Yeah, yeah, hmm. that, that was our quick, quick math. And then you got transitions, Did it Trans- take 7.10. And at this race, transitions were reasonably long. Um, I was looking at the age group results and there was probably about six minutes in transitions. So you do have to be careful if you're going for a target time, to remember to add in the transitions and look at past results because it can have a pretty big impact. For us in Rote, when we do Rote, like I had a fantastic spot in transition, pretty quick I don't know what times they were and T2's really quick like over there at a guess I'm going to say my transition times are maybe three minutes in total something like that yeah. here you know six what, um, what, what's the current I know it's, I know we can't say this world record because it's all very unofficial but what is the current world record well what is it, Frodo is Frodo isn't it uh, no he's Frodo's history now uh, history uh, never Iron Man records I th- I'm going to say no it was definitely what um what should I call it? Big tall dude did in wrote this year. I'm pretty sure that's the the fastest time. No, I was wrong. Um, that was second fastest. Uh, that, well, Torson's got Christian Blumenfeld as the fastest, but he hasn't actually done that. So I think it must have been on a dodgy course. That was 7:21 Cozumel. Um, that's when they often have a quite a quick swim. Okay. Um, so Magnus Ditlev uh, at 
challenge wrote in is 724 Frodo's time when he did that try battle was 727 but that was impressive because that was just by himself solo TT yeah, yeah. That, that was impressive yeah and females is 808 by Daniela Reef at Rote this year uh, Chrissy Wellington second 818 and Laura Phillip 818 as well it's amazing amazing Chrissy's still second when we look at the men's oh, no, no one of of the, the of her age of her era the times and no, like Crowley when he did fast and Kona was about eight oh three, wasn't it? Yeah, I think so. Eight oh three, eight oh four. And that was phenomenal in that moment. Mm. And that's when Chrissy was around. And since that time, the boys in Kona are doing what seven fifty now in Kona. Yeah, well, yeah, something along those lines. If we look at the progression from Ironman Western Australia, um, you know, it's always been a fast course. First race they had 2005, Mitchell Anderson went an 8.27 and Charlotte Paul went a 9.47. Came down to around about that eight-hour mark pretty much straight away after that um, and then sort of but condi- condition-dependent and the females were sort of hovering around the, the nine-hour mark, sort of sometimes dipping under, sometimes a little bit over. But then the big chunks started coming off from sort of 2015 onwards when it went to 7.55, 7.51 and then... Uh, and then Alistair Brownlee, 745. But it's still a massive, the last couple of years, gone from Alistair Brownlee, 745, uh, and he chipped off, you know, six or seven, uh, seven or eight minutes off that. And the females is equally impressive, getting down, you know, below. The previous record was 838 by Teresa Adams. So bloody fast racing, good to see. Good to see some races on as well, where, you know, the winner, relatively comfortable, but did have to do a bit of work in the end. You know, if, you t- if we 10 years ago said, you know, let's say the Crowey Macca era. Mm. We'd say, what do we think humans are humanly possible? I think we would have struggled to see a seven and a half. We wouldn't have seen the progression in the biking. I think we would have se- expected the progression in the running. Like it was always does oh, seem. But about, uh, would have we? Because we wouldn't have seen the shoes. Yeah, not maybe not to the extent in terms of everybody's doing it now. But it always did seem odd that you they know, couldn't go quite that, fast. That yeah. couldn't, you know, a two a high two forties was a really good run. Two forty two was kind of rock star back in those days, wasn't yeah, it? Yeah. So. Yeah, I think uh, it's a f- not the, just the fact that they're quicker now. It's like so many people are quicker. It's just so much more. Well, why hasn't swimming got faster? Swimming? Uh, I think the standard of swimming has is, is got faster. Again, it's that depth. You always occasionally have the odd rock star swimmer, but now it, a lot of people are swimming really, really well. Mm. Um, but, you know, like when we look at the progression of speed with cycling and running in mm. the sport, massive. Mm. Swimming, but it's swimming's shorter distance. It's a little incremental changes. Um, yep. Percentage-wise, if you did the math, it probably has improved. Okay. Um, maybe not to the extent that cycling has, but um, yeah, it's shorter distance, smaller margins. Mm. So, so we'd we, had uh, the Indiana Wells seventy point three happen. We, uh, John's pulling up his phone because we haven't got the website working. So. You were fascinated to see the difference between the long and short course athletes. Yeah, and there was a bit of smack talk. Um, this guy, Max Stapley, who does Super League and does short course, he's, he's an okay athlete and doesn't win races and yep. stuff, but he's, he's reasonable. Um, he's saying, oh, the short course guys are going to tear the legs off you long course guys. We don't get any respect, blah, 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 blah. And I kind of agree to a point, and so they had a 70.3 at the weekend. Uh, here we go, and what, and was, what was the facts? Well, it was kind of um, a bit of a split decision, really. Oh, really? Because we, but to tell you what, the Norwegians are coming uh, coming on strong, because we always talk about Blumenfeld and uh, Gustav Eden, but Kasper Stornis ended up taking it out, and he's a short course guy. Um, pretty up and down on his day, he's not bad, but most of the time he's sort of one of those guys maybe... 15 through 20, sort of in that range, if not further back. Uh, he took it out with a 110 marathon run. Um, but then you had another guy who's actually a better short course athlete, okay. um, Vettel Thorne, another Norwegian. He was down in fourth place, so he got uh, beaten a little bit. And there was um, 
There was another one somewhere in there as well. And there's a, a bit more coming up this weekend. So it was kind of a split decision because you had Casper Stornison first, Mark Dubrick, who's a 70.3 specialist, and Sam Long um, rode up to them but then uh, couldn't couldn't do the business on the run. So I wouldn't say they dominated the dojo um, on the – oh, I'm going to sneeze. Here he goes. Three, two, one. No, he's holding it in. Oh, yeah, got it facials. Out. <laughs> on the female side, uh, we also had a Norwegian take it out, and she is a short course athlete, and she, again, not a rock star, but still beat Tamara Jewett and Jackie Herrings. So uh, we've got another showdown this weekend at the Bahrain 70.3, and I haven't got the start list in front of me because um, the PTO site is down, but we're going to see Alistair Brownlee back in action, um, and he's going to go up against a few of the short course dudes. Um, I remember off memory, Henry... Schumann is there and also um, this fellow Max Stapley so we'll see if he can put his money where his mouth is um, <clears throat> I think he was down to race anyway haven't got it in front of me but again I kind of Bevan I often say is the old bell curve and I reckon if you took the top you 20 love the bell curve don't you I love the bell curve he loves the bell curve life <laughs> life is a bell curve if you took the top 20 short course athletes in the world and the top 20 so if we're talking half iron matter I don't know if we talk half Ironman or Ironman. I would say half Ironman because it's within a race. Yeah, but if you took top 20 short course athletes and the top 20 um, 70.3 specialists and you mesh them into a race, I reckon that the short course guys will probably come out on top, but it'll be those, those top few will smoke it and then you have some that'll be average, and then you, but not all of them are going to kill it. Um, so I think it's not... You don't just default saying that guy's a good short course athlete, it's going to be a good half Ironman. I'd say a lot of them are going to be good, but there's going to be some that are pretty average. But what are the what are the factors that make that work? You know, when we look at the guys who are short course, because you know, for the longest time in the show, you every time the Olympics have come, you go the short mm. course guys are coming. Yeah. And realistically, not many of them done as well as you thought they would have. Mm. Um, so, and I know that's more for Ironman because mm. there's a lot of short course guys who have a very good 70.3 career. Yeah. So, <clears throat> what are the factors that a good short course guy has that makes him a good? Longer athlete. It's just it's pretty straightforward. It's endurance and generally going to be how they can sustain things on the bike. You know, yeah, the the bike rides at world triathlon races uh, are really surgy, obviously, um, and up and down all over the place. It's not a long sustained effort. You know, you get some good recovery periods, but you get some good high intensity periods. Also, to be the mindset as well. You know, short course guys, a lot of them are their races. They want to be going head to head. They want to yep. be going hard all the time. Um, when you're going up to that sort of middle distance, um, you know, you've got to have a little bit more patience to a degree. Yep. Um, so I think it's a, it's a combination of things. But in general, if you had uh, the top 10 short course and maybe the top 10 middle distance, I'm going to put my money on the short course guys. They may, they're either, some of them are either going to win it or explode trying, um, whereas the, the long course guys will probably be a bit more sort of steady eddy sort of guys. And then you look at like a Blumenfeld, which dominated mm. all for a moment. Yeah, he, he has. It's going to be interesting to see if he can get back to the top, top at short course. You know, he's he's got back to a really good level, um, but whether he can be contending for a medal and, and, when everyone's and, on, I'm not so sure. And here's the thing. How much do you want it once you've already got one? Mm. Like, I'm sure, you, you know, there's been no double Olympic gold medalist. Oh, no, oh, but Brownlee, 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 sorry. Yeah. Um, so there's a legacy, mm. but he's spent a lot of time in long course in the last couple of years. So, mm. yeah. Anyway, um, did you talk about the females at Bahrain? Uh, well, I haven't got that start list in front of me. Okay. Uh, there's definitely one or two good uh, showdowns there, but the boys' field is probably a bit more interesting than the females. Well, whatever happens, 
it's highly likely we're going to see an insanely fast time because we always do at that course. Okay, so a couple of weeks ago, we had the Ultraman World Championships. We couldn't get this, the results last week, but we did get them in Simon, Simon Coltrane. Coltrane. Uh, Coltrane. Take that name, Cochrane, Simon. Sorry, <laughs> Simon Coltrane Cochrane. Um, Coltrane Cochrane. So he took it out and he got the race record by 44 minutes, which is a significant beating of the record. It is. It's no, no, it's a long race, but that's impressive. Mm. And he's got the full package. He can swim, bike and run. Uh, so it was very impressive. Um, Winning by over five hours in the second place get was a female. It was, yeah. So he didn't, re- and that's, you know, it didn't, it didn't have any competition whatsoever because in the swim, he swam two hours and 38 minutes. And if I scroll down the list, nobody else was even remotely close to breaking three hours. Uh, I think I think the next person was like three hours and 19, I think it was. So there you go. You got a 40-minute lead coming out of the swim. And then he rode a 4.36 for the 90-mile ride. And that's where you go from Kailua, Kona, um, around to Hilo. There's a lot of climbing in that. No, but it's still pretty quick. You, you are getting a lot of climbing, but the roads are smooth and you've got some really high speed. Um, descents. The descents aren't steep, but you can keep your speed up nice and high. So that was the end of day one. And day two, uh, so at the end of day one, he pretty much had a two-hour lead already, um, again. Uh, but then the second day, he rode a seven hours 32 for the 171.4 miles and that was uh, well over an hour in front of the next person which was the the leading female so that's a pretty bloody impressive ride by her to be honest Um, and then the third day he ran a 609 for the double marathon which is in the heat it's straight line running just all the way down the Queen K you do it's net net um, downhill because you're starting at Harvey Um, so you've got that downhill to, to begin with I think I saw somewhere that he did go through halfway in under uh, under three hours, so a bit of a negative split, but I mean a bit of a positive split. But you do have that downhill from Harvey, so um, that sort of gives you a nice advantage to begin with. And he finished in twenty hours, fifty seven minutes, and forty six seconds. And second place was a female. Got to give her plenty of credit, Amy Robertel. Um, she did twenty five hours, fifty five minutes, and fifteen seconds. And third was also a female. Um, Andre and Gerard, Gerard, and she was about an hour, hour twenty behind. So very impressive race by that second place, especially that uh, day two bike ride. That is uh, very handy indeed. It's interesting because it seems like they only have about twenty competitors, maybe a little bit over twenty, hmm. for only about fifteen or sixteen finishing. Is is there, is there a limit on how many people are allowed to enter? Don't know. Uh, you've got it's, it's you've got to qualify. qualify got to go to particular events. Um, I think that's it. I don't know, just off the top of my head, that seems pretty normal to me. Yep. Um, yeah. But I don't see any reason why they would have a limit because it's, self, it's self-supported. Self, yeah. It's like you don't have to, it's a race organizer. It's pretty straightforward for a race organizer. You've got to do a little bit of logistics stuff, but you don't have to put any marshals out there. You don't have to do any aid station. you basically got to put set up a start and finish line, uh, and that's pretty much it. So, yeah. Um, I've got no idea what it costs to enter or anything like that, but you do have to qualify by one of their events. And the, yeah, good on him. So 44 minute course record, which is mental. Um, second place, as we said, was a female. It was not good enough for record though. The record was yeah, the record was set last year by Didi Griesbauer. So whenever you're listening to the Ironman coverage and you're thinking. This woman um, talks a lot, and her and um, Michael Lovato do talk a lot, and they 
but when you've got to, when it's, you know, it's eight job. hours long, uh, she's legit, you know, when you, she set it. 22 hours, 22, 23 hours, 22 minutes, setting a course record last year. Uh, and she's, I think I read she's 52 when she did that. So she's uh, she's a very good swim biker. Um, not so strong on the run, but still, she holds the current record. So this year's athlete who finished in first, Amy uh, Robertel, was a couple of hours off that. So no, very noteworthy to get second, very noteworthy to win. A couple of hours off uh, Didi's record. Okay, let's go into the discussion of the week. So last week we were discussing if cost wasn't an issue, how many times would you race this season and what distances would you do? We didn't get a huge amount of feedback on this, but we did get some answers. Um, I'll go first. John, John, yeah. where as much as I could get away from work? Rightio. Yep. Xavier Cockpot uh, says five times 70.3s and two Ironmans. Good old Ben Shaw has got, I love, I'd love to get back to doing three 70.3 races a year, maybe work back to two Ironman distance races as well. Uh, Grant Tyrell, he was out there busting it out at the Oxman the weekend before last. Uh, it's often I could without falling apart. Good old Scott Horn's got two to three 70.3s, 100k distance and maybe two to four Olympic distance slash sprints. Um, Claudio Blizzard, Industria says uh, two full distance Ironmans, or he says 140.6s, two 70.3s probably. This year just did one full distance race. Money was definitely a factor. Good old John Ellis has got, I think it's a question for my wife to answer, as I'm pretty <laughs> sure that would be the deciding factor. Peter Fitzwell is another uh, local here. I'd race six halves and three full distance events all over the world flying business class. Yeah, true. Uh, Graham Cole's got, to stop me from getting bored, I would do a, an event per month, but they would not all be triathlons. I would have one full Ironman as my target race, two 70.3s as my build-up events, and then a late-season Ironman just in case the target race went wrong and I needed another event to, event to redeem myself. The other months would have ultra runs, swim challenges, trail races, gravel races, which are all fun and keep you inspired and motivated. It's also nice to meet folk from other sports. Last one I'll do, uh, Michael Beertz, uh, for a year with one to two 70.3s and two to three Olympic distances. Cost isn't so much of an issue as time away from family and work to train and race. Good old Shane Chubb's got, mate, if, I had, if money was no object, I'd do the full distance Ironman every eight weeks <laughs> and a full year cycle. Probably an Olympic distance in between each and even a half every second uh, full distance. Just think about how much fun it would be. See the world, do triathlons. I'm sure the missus and daughter would approve if they could tag along as well for the sightseeing and the tourist partners. I'll do one, uh, one final one, actually. Pete, Pete McLeod said, I had four Ironmans and one half and a couple of small distance races in 12 months. As Peter Colson said, raced into fitness. I was only 50-ish then, though. What did you do, John? Um, I would not want to do more than two Ironmans a year, that's for sure. Uh, I think I'd structure it a little bit differently. The, 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 we probably should put time and money. Mm, mm. But I, I, don't, I don't... Doing Ironman every... At least two Ironmans a year... Does, isn't motivating for me. Um, I think well, the way I'd do it, I'd probably do a season of short course racing and race fairly regularly, you know, as much as I could, you know, during, you know, say our five-month season or six-month season, whatever it is, you know, try to do a race every month, a mixture of um, sprint and Olympic. Uh, and then I'd probably have a season where I would focus a bit more on doing one or two really good halves. Um, and I'm thinking 
more if we just focus on a domestic season rather than a 12-month sort of calendar and traveling all over the world. But ideally, I'd have two half Ironman peaks. And then in the third year, that's when I'd do Ironman, probably do two Ironmans. Um, and that's how I think I'd structure it if money wasn't an objective. But it certainly is an objective for a lot of us now in terms of entering these races when it's, you know, Anywhere between six hundred and two and a half thousand dollars to do a half or a full, um, it certainly makes you think twice about how much racing you can it do. It really is a lot of money if you're mm. spending two and a half thousand. Mm. Like for an Ironman, you know, for a seventy point three six hundred, I'd be happy to pay that. But but two and a half thousand, six hundred for a seventy point three. If it was a yeah, I would. It, yeah. You know, if it was like a rock star seventy point three, you know, but if like it was just Topol seventy point three regular old race. Happy to bang that out every year, twice a year, twelve hundred bucks. Yeah, I think I would. Yeah, maybe not twice a year, but if I was if, if if I was back where I was when I was doing Ironman, where it was kind of the priority of my time, mm. um, I'd be racing as much as possible. I loved racing with cycle racing. Mm-hmm. I did a lot mm-hmm. of cycle racing when I was doing Ironman. Mm-hmm. Pretty much every weekend I was doing a cycle race. Mm-hmm. Great for your riding. Mm-hmm. So I'd be doing. I'd be doing mixing it up. One thing I didn't do at all, which I should have done more of, was running racing. Mm-hmm. Never did a run other than like the odd half marathon or marathon, but proper like just local running events. Yeah, um, definitely get an Ironman, but it'd be it'd be a destination kind of awesome Ironman. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'd probably do one Ironman a year, two or three seventy point threes, mm-hmm. and be racing pretty much every weekend and some other thing. Yeah, I, I, I loved racing. Yeah, I think what you find now is there's nowhere near as much bike racing, and I yeah, don't know no, if it's dying, a, isn't it? I don't know if that's a worldwide thing, but um, Lance very, disappeared and cycling died. Yeah, <laughs> and, and it's just hard to put races on. It's just difficult, and you don't have the volunteers to do it these days. But yeah, de- definitely bike racing, and it was great when I was doing it. You. Every weekend they, they, they had the um, the benchmark series at the time, mm-hmm, and it was. Mm-hmm. Really good local athletes. Mm-hmm. And there's like eight races a season. They're all like 100 to 160 k's. Yeah, hard riding. Yeah. You know, good locations. You know, good up and downs. Good variety of courses, and you, you had team racing as well. So it was, you know, it was good fun. Mm. You know, you kind of it would take out a day of your week, but mm. you know, my Saturday was always kind of written off. But my mm-hmm. partner was riding at the same time, so it kind of worked. Mm. But um, yeah, I, I loved competing. Mm. You know, and if you can mix it up by and it's advantageous probably not running racing too much no you do that in, in your sort of winter yeah you know? but even like i never did a swimming race mm. some of those ocean That's, series races oh yeah they're dead now as well are they really <laughs> well no some of them are that's oh, stupid oh, no i'll save that for another day no tell me oh, oh no uh, we've got a, a body down here called ecan which is environment canterbury and they're like shutting beaches down and stuff and places to swim because they're idiots <laughs> They do water testing at these places, um, and it's one of them is a beach that we use for swimming. Which is literally like 15 minutes from my house. It's perfectly fine to swim there, unless it rains. If it rains, then you get you know, yep. flow off into the water, and it's not good for swimming. Yep. Uh, but they, in their infinite wisdom, they've decided to go, oh, we're just going to black flag this beach, and you can't swim there because there's that risk if it rains that's going to go in there. But it's like, just put a sign up and say, don't go swimming after it rains. Are, are people using it? Uh, I think they are, but I've got to move a race because they're such idiots that they, yeah, no, they're basically right. assuming that people have got no common sense. It's infuriating because they test there two or two, a couple of times a week. All the tests are fine. They test there every twice? Yeah. Okay. All the tests are fine except when it rains. Like in the last five years, there's been you know, a handful, like on one hand, I think you can count how many times. It's under there's five. Been a, yeah. Well, it depends how many, how, what sort of childhood you had. Um, you can count how many times there was that the water was bad. And you let's look at the, the data. It's like, oh, it rained the day before. Yeah. It's so infuriating. 
Anyway, I feel, I feel, I feel, I feel <laughs> you're on the verge just, right now. He's yeah. on the verge. Maybe if I push him a little bit, guys, we might just yeah. calm things. I think down. they're doing a great job. Yeah, <laughs> talk about traffic management. Oh, gosh. <laughs> okay, so uh, this week's discussion is what triathlon product would you love for Christmas? Mm. Or, or it doesn't have to be product. I'll put product slash experience. Okay, there we go. Okay, uh, John's quiz question: What when I win was Christian Blumenfeld's first result listed on World Triathlon. So basically, when did he... Now, not, fir- not podium, just... Not podium. Just, just like, but it's race. more or less, when did he sort of start racing at either a junior elite level or an elite level? So, yeah. Wow, that's a hard question. Mm. So you just got to think how old he is now and sort of work your way back and try to guesstimate when you think he started triathlon at a, at a sort of an international level. I, I'll give you a clue. Well, I don't actually know the answer, but I'm pretty sure, he? I'm pretty sure he will have, he'll have a junior result in there. How old is he? Don't know. It's part of the question. Oh, thanks a lot. <laughs> okay, we're going to do an interview coming up. Uh, Jeff Fifa? I thought it was Fifa. I didn't do the interview, though. Yeah, well, I do ask him, I think. I, yeah. I asked him beforehand. He, you did do it a little while ago. Now, yeah, I interviewed him a few weeks ago, and he's been working with an autistic athlete by the name of Kenneth Leth. Kovic um, and it's a really awesome story so we'll check that on right now and you guys get to listen to it right now here we go right Cheers, team so we're, so we're really happy to have Jeff the real McCoy FIFA uh, do I get that I'm always, I'm always, you know what I'm like with names so welcome along to the show now Jeff has been got in contact with us because he's been helping out an athlete uh, do Ironman Florida and uh, it's a pretty interesting story so maybe first of all welcome to the show Jeff and maybe just give us a bit of an overview of yourself and then tell us a little bit about the athlete you've been helping uh, thanks, Bevan. Uh, yeah, I've uh, actually been a, a follower of y'all's show for uh, just about ever. So uh, first, congratulations to you and John for probably having the longest running uh, triathlon podcast. I think so, a lot of them have come and gone over the years and you guys are still trucking. So. Yeah, we, we, we're definitely long in the tooth. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, so anyway, I'm, I'm 47 years old. I started racing um, triathlons in 2006. Uh, I'm a pilot for uh, one of the major cargo companies over here in the U.S. Uh, and kind of got into to triathlon when we moved to the Memphis area. Uh, at this point, I've done uh, 14 Ironmans and over 150 triathlons. So pretty well experienced, uh, done a lot, racing Kona a couple times. And um, I've actually done, uh, crossed the finish line at Ironman Florida four times uh, prior to this year. So pretty experienced um, across um, triathlon at, at this point. Uh, and you know, I kind of to get into the, the story. So last summer uh, I was racing uh, a race down in central Florida and it happened to be the special Olympics, uh, Florida state games. And I had previously kind of followed Chris Nickick's journey. Who's the first athlete with down syndrome to complete an Ironman and also race at the world championships. And I didn't really know much else about the story other than Chris had done this, which was pretty amazing. And so we were down in uh, Central Florida at this race uh, because it was the state games. And I couldn't really tell you, but to me, it felt like there was between the Special Olympics athletes and the the guides, it seemed like there was 40 or 50 of these people running around in Special Olympics athletes. Wow. And I was like, oh my gosh, there's so many of these. Um, and I'll say kids, but of the bulk of them are actually all young adults. Um, but so I'm, I'm watching all these and I was just like, man, this is awesome. And I'm, I'm racing and we're doing an Olympic distance race in amongst while they're doing the sprint race and we're passing them on the course and all this. And then I get to interact with a bunch of them after the race. And so I immediately started reaching out like that next week and said, 
man, I would love to try to get involved. How could I, uh, do you guys need any help? And so some of the, the volunteers and organizers down there immediately were like, yeah, for sure. Um, you know, and, and so this year I got involved with it and I got set up racing uh, and guiding for an athlete named uh, Kenneth Lefkovic. Uh, he lives about uh, an hour south of me, about an hour north of Orlando. I live in the Jacksonville area. Uh, so um, relatively close and was going to be guiding him through different Special Olympic triathlon races uh, throughout the year uh, was a, kind of the original plan. And going back a little bit to, to Chris Nickick. So, you know, Chris uh, started doing his first triathlon, I believe in 2016. Um, he did a couple sprints. Then in 2018, the Special Olympics of Florida actually began triathlon as a, as an organized program within Special Olympics. Okay. And it started with four athletes. Um, they, uh, it was Chris Nickick, Kenneth Lefkovic, Lefkovic was one of them. Uh, and then uh, another gentleman, uh, John Sadie and Adrian Bunn. And those names are all kind of interesting that that was the original four because within the last six weeks now between Kona and Ironman Florida, all four of those original plus another have all done an Ironman. Wow. So it's pretty interesting. It's pretty cool. Yeah. Uh, you know, so then fast forward again in 2020, Chris ends up doing Ironman Florida, becomes the first athlete with Down syndrome. Then in 2022, he, he competed at the World Championships. Um, that year uh, in 2022, I believe there was a gentleman, uh, his name's Sam Holness from Great Britain. He was the first openly autistic uh, athlete to uh, complete at the world championships as well. Um, so all this kind of grew a little bit from Chris getting a lot of notoriety and a large following, especially on social media. His dad saw how much triathlon had, um, helped shape his son's outlook on life and what mm -hmm. he could actually accomplish. And so they actually set up a nonprofit um, called the 1% Better Chris Nickick Foundation. So throughout this foundation, he's now been sponsoring and helping uh, other athletes with intellectual disabilities, um, whether that's uh, autism, you know, they have it, uh, an intellectual disability based on, you know, from a, a genetic disorder like Down syndrome or fetal alcohol syndrome, something like that. <clears throat> And he's actually helping to sponsor these athletes to do even more than just what the Special Olympics is doing. So now they can go on and do a half Ironman or an Ironman. And so that's actually rapidly escalated this year. And, and quite a few of these athletes have been starting to race. Uh, so my experience is, is uh, going to be mostly talking about uh, the race with Kenneth here mm -hmm. at Ironman Florida. Um, the reason he's not on here is, is Kenneth... Um, Kenneth's 29 years old. Uh, like I said, he kind of lives in Palm Coast, which is about an hour from me. Um, and he has, uh, he's on the uh, autism spectrum, but he actually, I, I don't know if there's actually a, a true diagnosis of nonverbal, but he, he essentially lacks the ability to communicate expressively with language. Um, yeah, when, you his, say, when you say language, is it both like, is it sign language as well as kind of oratorial language or is it? So I don't believe he uses sign language at all. I've never okay. seen him use okay. it uh, or seen him use it with so his communication mom. So communication overrules is... a really hard thing. Correct. Okay. Um, uh, I will, I've actually been able to, since the around uh, March of this year, um, I've been able to have 
uh, one or two touch points with Kenneth uh, almost every month leading up to Ironman Florida, whether that was going down to a, a Special Olympics clinic that was held uh, in Central Florida, whether I was going to his house, his mom would sometimes bring him up here. Uh, and we would do different amounts of training, whether it was on the bike, the swim, running. And I get to know him. I get to know a lot really is just like watching his mannerisms and his breathing and his just interacting with him because he can't have a conversation like you and I are having Uh, matter of fact, his, his communicative language that I've, I've witnessed really consists of a handful of words. You know, it might be bathroom if he needs to use the restroom. Um, it might be water if he's thirsty. Um, outside of that, if he's, uh, you know, feeling really good. You might get, I love you (laughs) something, you know, really, really interesting when, when you can see that he's expressing, um, you know, some kind of sentiment towards you, um, you know, or or thanks. It's it's really interesting because, you know, like obviously the fact you live a little bit far apart and then you're signing up to this race with him and and you're you're getting a few experiences along the way, but it's not like you're training every week. So there's this real Mm -hmm. in-depth kind of intuition that you would have grown with him. Um, When it comes to, understanding his needs when you are training and racing what was the key to your success yeah so it's been really interesting um because he has been doing sprint races for quite a few years kenneth actually is um a really interesting example of a individual that has had you know some of these intellectual disabilities growing up from a very very young age but his mom recognized that early and realized that sport was something that he could do. Mm-hmm. Uh, and she got him riding a bike when he was about six years old. So he's been riding a bike for a really long time. He got involved in swimming very young uh, and actually was on a high school swim team wow. uh, and, uh, for uh, a while. Again, I don't know exactly how successful he was, but he's actually a really good swimmer. So yeah. learning these skills throughout his entire life, he's he's been athletic. And it has just kind of, moved into uh, him getting involved in special MC actually been doing other, uh, other events with the special MC. I think some tennis um, trying to think of, I know he did uh, swimming and special era uh, swimming and tennis, I believe with the special Olympics prior to triathlon. Um, so to go back to your, your question specifically um, it, it definitely was interesting because I can't really ask him a question and say, Hey, do you understand? Yeah, or, yeah, yeah. you know um, so the very, very first time I went down, um, I actually went to a clinic in, in central Florida and interacted and actually just kind of shadowed another guy that was following another uh, athlete who actually had a very similar um, disability to, to Kenneth and watch how he interacted. And it was good. And, and just it was very simple cues like and it would be for so Kenneth doesn't necessarily understand when to properly shift on his bike. So I'll be riding and I'll watch his cadence on the bike. And if it gets, you know, a little too slow or a little too fast, I'll just say, Hey, give me a big button or give me a little button. And we practiced on the trainer in a, in a space where we could, and we'd set his finger right on and say, Hey, this is the big button this is the little button. And we'd probably say, you know, give me a couple of these and we'd practice through it. And that's, you know, a bulk of our conversation, uh, on the bike. Uh, once we started getting the very first race I did with him, I said, man, he's actually moving pretty quick. If we could get him just a little more arrow. That'd be great. So I was like, let me try. We set up trainers next to each other and, and I'm riding a road bike because he tends to tends to mimic uh, the movements I do. Yeah. And I said, all right, let's try low hands, high hands. So I try to get him down in the drops by using the low hands command. Or if we're coming up to a turn, 
and we want to be up on the on the uh, hoods, you know, be in the high hands. And he would move back and forth really well. And he handles a bike extremely, extremely well. So, so um, he does understand. He just can't communicate back to you. And the understanding is very basic. And I'm going to say yes. I, yeah. he, generally speaking with his mom, his mom says, we think it's all going in. Yeah. But because you, just, you, but you can't, can't know. Yeah. 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 There's no closed loop of communication yeah, where yeah. he can actually give it back to you. Yeah. But obviously he is, he is understanding and processing the bulk yeah, of it. Yeah. Um, and you know, so it's, there's, there's definitely some cognitive, uh, issues and some cognitive yeah. delays in, in how he processes, but at the same time, you know, you can tell when we're doing sport, he really enjoys it. Um, I have seen, uh, What's interesting about Kenneth is if he was sitting in the room with us right now and he was sitting over behind me, he could be sitting there the whole time and maybe even in a crowded room of a bunch of people. And somebody might notice him over there and think, oh, like, that's a pretty quiet, introverted person. Like, they're not interacting with anyone. Um, He doesn't have um, any physical signs that would necessarily stand out to someone to they would say, oh, wow, you know. He, there's clearly something going on here where somebody like Chris or somebody with Down syndrome, they have some physical traits mm. to where, you know, when they walk in the room, most people can say, oh, okay, yeah, that person probably has some Down syndromes and they have some expectations that come along with that. Where with Kenneth, that's not really uh, the case until you try to interact with them one-on-one. And then maybe if you said something to them and, and he didn't really reply or or <laughs> just kind of yeah. blew you off, they, you know, somebody might think, oh, that's kind of rude, but that's not <laughs> what's going on at all. No, so. Absolutely. Um, and part of what goes on with it too, is he, um, because of the way he processes things and does everything, um, you know, he lacks a lot of independent learning, uh, living skills as well. You know, social interaction, um, doesn't drive a lot of these things. So, you know, he lives with his mom full time and his mom is, um, not just his mom, but also his full-time caretaker, uh, mm-hmm. on that standpoint, what's interesting and, and uh, you know, the the night before the race, um, it was uh, Kenneth and Jonathan also raced. He has um, uh, Jonathan's Sadie's uh, intellectual disability stems from fetal alcohol syndrome, but uh, and his uh, stepmother, <laughs> adoptive mother, who's there with him. Um, I made sure to to tell these ladies the night before. I said, "Hey, when these boys cross the finish line tomorrow, you know, this is much a, a win for you guys and and an excitement for you guys too, because." Although I've, you know, said I've had one or two touch points maybe per month with these, uh, or with Kenneth, you know, these moms are the ones that are out there driving oh, the yeah. pool every day. Oh, yeah. um, Adidas even out riding a bike with him very often um, to make sure he's safe if he's riding outdoors or when he's running. Um, she can't quite run as fast as him, but she'll she'll ride the bike with him around the neighborhood and stuff like that while he's running. So they're the ones that are actually doing the training day in and day out. Yeah. So it's it's like they have their full time coach. Uh, it's also <laughs> their their caretaker and their or their you know their their mothers it's pretty interesting um so tell us about the day so so you so talk us through a the experience but how you're navigating with him through the experience on the day yeah so uh, as a guide uh, i kind of think you know the guide has three roles one is watching out for the athlete's safety so um in the swim we're there just to you know Hey, make sure they don't get caught in a big group. Uh, if they show any signs of distress, immediately be able to um, call for a kayak or something like that. If, if we saw something going on that, that seemed um, that the athlete was uneasy um, on the bike, it would be, you know, watching for uh, 
potholes in the road, things like that. So uh, I'm actually allowed to ride behind him. They, uh, I get a finish time, all that. They, they tend to ignore if I'm drafting because I have to be close enough to be able yeah, to communicate with them the yeah. whole time. Yeah. Um, however, Kenneth has to do the whole thing. So generally speaking, they say, you know, he is all, he can never be drafting off of me uh, or another athlete. So uh, I'm allowed to maybe guide him around a corner if I see potholes or around through an aid station. Uh, if there's kind of an odd, some rough road, we had one spot with some kind of rough road and I led him through that section. And if anything, I'm slowing him down there than, than uh, helping him uh, go any faster. Um, and then, uh, so kind of those cognitive decisions of safety. And then a big part of it too is, um, you know, the execution, you know, whether it's shifting on the bike, stopping to feed, um, he he kind of can manipulate some things when we're on the bike, as far as like a bottle or a gel or something, but it's, you could tell he, he has a really hard time doing more than one thing at, at once. So he maybe can steer and drink, but he can't pedal. He can pedal and steer, but he can't drink. Okay. And so okay. if, if for some reason he's pedaling and drinking, but not steering, things could go bad really fast. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so we, we just decide, you know, okay, we're going to stop uh, for all our feed stations. So we just pull to the side of the road, have him drink, take a gel, do everything we're doing. So we were stopping about every 30 minutes, uh, pulling over on the side of the road, drinking, I'd check in, get going. Um, so obviously working on the execution of that part, then pacing, uh, making sure, you know, like anybody on the run, we're not going out too fast. Mm-hmm. Um, for other athletes, it might be that they're going fast enough, you know, for mm-hmm. Chris, especially in his first Ironman, it was making sure he's making all the cutoffs. Mm-hmm. So pacing him to go quick enough. Yep. Um, and then finally, it's kind of cool, um, that, uh, you kind of get to be their own, you know, personal motivation and cheerleader along the way too. Um, you know, you're there encouraging them. Um, so that, that's kind of the, the way the guiding works. And, and, but other than that, I mean, Kenneth does everything. He's swimming every stroke, he's pedaling his own bike steering, uh, and he's running every step. So, uh, it's a little different than say a visually impaired, um, Mm. PC athlete where, Mm. you know, they have a driver on a tandem. Correct. So, you know, he's really doing everything. We're just there again, primarily is that safety, uh, safety guard throughout just in case. Before we push record, you were saying he was, he's actually a pretty decent athlete. So what kind of times did he do in in the race? Yeah. So, uh, we, we swam uh, a one ten, um, bike to six twelve, and ran a four ten. Jeez, that's pretty good. And, um, and you're saying you're stopping at every aid station. So it's probably more close to maybe four, five, five forty-five on the bike. If you need to stop so much, man, I, I don't even know. So we, he rides on a road bike, uh, not a, not a time trial bike. Um, again, it's one of those things we just haven't, I don't know if the juice is worth the squeeze, uh, yeah, to okay. go to, to clip in pedals. So he yeah. actually rides on flat pedals with tennis shoes. So, wow. um, because of that, he loses a lot of efficiency, uh, yeah. on the bike. He's, his typical cadence is probably, uh, between 60 and 70 RPM for the whole thing. Um, because, and I've tried at times to have him pedal a little faster. The problem is because he's not clipped in his foot would actually start to lose contact with the pedal. You know what I mean? So you don't have that, that positive locked in feel. So when you start getting a fast cadence, you can imagine your foot sliding around just a little bit if you don't have a good positive contact of a cleat. Yeah. So he rides a really slow cadence. Um, yeah, so losing some aerodynamic advantage, losing some yeah. efficiency uh, on the pedals, and then, like you said, stopping to for every time we feed uh, yeah. is losing some minutes there. So, yeah, I mean, it's I, I don't know if I would say four forty five. I mean, I'm guessing it's probably a yeah. solid, 
Yeah, yeah. Well, yeah, yeah. I mean, I think there could be almost 45 minutes in there. I mean, yeah, I think he could yeah. be a 530 yeah. <laughs> athlete almost if he was had all the advantages and was able to take advantage of them. Um, when, when, you got it, to the, um, when you got to the last part in the marathon, you know, the, the, the Ironman, you know, everyone's always like, how do you, the last, the real good Ironman's, you know, the last part of the marathon is where the game begins. What was that like? Because you're not getting feedback from him. Um, you know, like, what are you doing at that moment? So, yeah, that's, that's really interesting. So, um, I, he can't just look at me if, if you and I were running together and, and all of a sudden yeah. I'm getting in a tough spot, I can say, Hey Bevan, I'm in a really deep spot right here. Yeah. I'm, you know, I feel like my leg's going to cramp or I've got a blister on my foot that is about to, you know, drive me bonkers. <laughs> he can't give me any of that. So I'm kind of just watching his, uh, his stride, watching how he's running, looking to see if everything looks normal. And that's, that was literally, we hopped off the bike and I just kind of let him start running for about the first half mile. And I kind of was more just watching him saying, how does everything look? Does he look like he's running normal? Is he breathing fine? All that. And then I kind of watched the pace just to make sure we weren't going too quick. Um, he was running a little fast for the first mile, typical of just about everybody. Um, but then we kind of settled right in. Um, we walked through every aid station, uh, more logistically than anything. Again, he, um, almost comes to a full stop when he's drinking his, his cups, uh, and, and then walks again. But, um, so we'd walk through every aid station and, um, there was a little bit, so Ironman Florida is a two loop run. So you, you know, you run out, do a U-turn, come back to essentially there's a pier area. Um, and then you U-turn, you can't quite see the finish line at the U-turn, but it's not that far away. And there, you know, I had explained to him, you know, prior to make sure he understood, okay, we're going to do two laps of the swim. We're going to do one big loop on the bike. And then we're going to do two laps of the run. Um, there was this little bit of nervousness in my head. It's like, I really hope he understands we're doing mm. two full laps of the run. It's not <laughs> out and back. It's two. Uh, so on the, on the way back, I made sure to say that a couple of times, like, Hey, just remember, as soon as we get to, you know, back there to the pier, we're going to U-turn and we just got to come back to this point again or, or whatever. And he'd say, yeah. Um, okay. But again, there's no, yeah. It's still doubt. No real, yeah. No, no real positive closed loop of communication there. Um uh, but what was really interesting is we, we ran along and, and uh, because we got past quite a bit on the bike, especially had people on, on time trial bikes, um, almost the entire run, we were passing people almost the entire time with yes. only uh, getting passed with um, a handful of people uh, on the inbound of the first loop of people that were kind of, kind of heading into the, the finish, the really fast people. Um, but other than that, you know, the, other than the people who were on their second loop, we weren't getting past a whole lot. Um, he was running really, really incredibly. And so after we made the, the final U-turn, we had about just over a little, t about 10 K or so left a little bit over that. And so we make this final turn and I said, oh, can it now, you know, after we make this turn, you know, that's all we got to do is we just got to run back and we get to go to the finish line. Right. And he looks at me and he says, finish line. And I've never heard him say finish line before. <laughs> The whole next 10K, it was so hard for me to keep it together because we were running along, you know, we'd walk through an aid station and he'd look at me and he'd just be like, finish line? Oh, really? <laughs> Almost like a quite, And I'm like, yeah, yeah, man, we're getting close. And <laughs> uh, I mean, it was really quite amazing. Um, uh, you know, I mean, you've done Ironmans. Anybody listening to this yeah. is probably, you know, done Ironmans or thinking about it. And any finish line of an Ironman is pretty emotional, uh, yeah. whether it went good, bad, or ugly. Um, and... I kind of, you know, that first Ironman is super emotional, I think, for just about everybody. Well, you know, 
I could see him coming in and with about two miles to go, he just started accelerating, accelerating, accelerating. So, you know, I think we averaged, you know, a little over nine minute mile for the entire thing. And, and um, he did have a, about a nine minute bathroom break in there too. So we, our, our moving time was actually about like 358. But I mean, he just started running so fast the last two miles. There was, there was a point there where I was like, man, don't drop me <laughs> you know, coming in here with, a, with, a, with about three quarters of a mile to go. And uh, just the excitement and emotion on, on his face, oh, you could see so him cool. smiling. And I mean, you know, people are like, oh, well, what do you get out? I mean, for me, it was pretty amazing because I got to almost experience doing my first Ironman a yeah. second time. Yeah. <laughs> you yeah. know what I mean? It yeah. was like it was like all that emotion of, the, of that first crossing a finish line was there again for me. And it, it felt really, really cool. Um, yeah. <laughs> so yeah. I mean, it's something special. So, yeah. What, so you, what you got out of it was. I, the, the awesome finish experience. What else did you get out of it? Uh, so like as I said at the beginning of our talk, I mean, I've raced a lot. I've done a ton of races now. I've been uh, relatively successful at a lot of stuff as well. Um, had some really good finishes racing Kona. Um, and, you know, ultimately all these finish lines that I've crossed, whether it's, um, uh, you know, a sprint race that I've won qualifying for Kona, um, a national championship race, any of those things that I've done. And I, I felt great, you know, when friends in my social circle learn of that, whether it's through social media, my immediate family, any of that, all these people are, they're super excited for you, mm. but you could talk to most of them probably 30 minutes later <laughs> and it means nothing to them. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's a moment in life. They thought it was yeah. cool. Yeah. All right. Now they move on. Yeah. Yep. So like, you know, obviously I've done a lot of these races, but so, other than to me and I don't know, maybe my son or my wife might care a little bit longer, but even yeah. give it a week or two, it, it's probably not real high on their, their uh, uh, life events that are super important to them. Yeah. Um, yeah. However, doing this, like I feel like doing triathlon and actually racing and all the experience I've gained and all the fitness I've, I've done now, it actually does pay forward to somebody that, I think we'll remember it for probably their whole life, including yeah. his mom, yeah. you know? So it's taking what a, a sport that really is kind of selfish, yeah. uh, you know, yeah. it's, it's, yeah. it's focused it's a, it's a on you as the individual. Yeah. 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 But now you're able to use that and, and, you know, pay it forward to, to somebody else who gets to experience that or, you know, now see what they can overcome through, discipline and dedication and and finishing something that that they weren't certain they were going to be able to do as someone who gets a lot of my own life to help people grow um you know what i you know i had my time in the sport and i loved my time in the sport but it was very much about my own self discovery uh and you know now my life is much more about helping others grow and it's so rewarding but i think what's really fascinating about yours is you're helping someone grow who maybe traditionally didn't get those opportunities you know and needs a bit more guidance and so it is you know it's kind of opening the door to somebody and probably one of the most powerful way possible. Yeah. It, well, and, and I think what you're saying there is, is really the, the big take home message here is that what's important about what Chris has done. And now Kenneth and Jonathan have done at Ironman Florida, uh, Adrian and, and Marlin uh, Stutzman is the, the, the fifth athlete that uh, the two women that raced at Kona this year. But I think what these one, these, 
individuals are showing is that they're they're really capable of a lot lot more yeah. than yeah. you know we as society probably give them credit for yeah. you know yeah. um is triathlon the right outlet for every individual with intellectual disabilities no um ultraman or ultra triathlon especially not <laughs> you know <laughs> however um but that's you could say that about any individual in the yeah. world you know it's yeah. triathlon and and ironman racing is not going to be the the end all for for every person out there but i think the fact that these individuals are starting to show it, it that they can do it hopefully will open the eyes of maybe some some other individuals uh with intellectual disabilities that hey you know if they can do that, why can't I, um, you know, get a job or, yeah. you know, yeah. that compete in it? something else? Yeah, yeah, it opens up a lot of possibilities. And I think the other things it opens up to is to those parents, you know, because yeah. I think the parents of these uh, individuals, you know, very often I think they have a societal norm that just starts telling them, oh, your kid's never going to be able to do this. Your kid's yeah. never going to be able to do that. Yeah. Um, Chris's father, his name happens to be Nick. Um, I know his, one of his big things was, oh, you know, he's super proud and excited of what his son's done, uh, what Chris did by, by being that first athlete with Down syndrome um, to do this. But what he is, he has said through all the interactions I've had with him is that Chris doing it is not going to be important as the second person and the third person yeah. and the 10th person, because if just Chris did it, People, society would be, it'd be very easy for people to see it as an anomaly. Yeah. Say, oh, well, he's a one-off. He's not a good representation. So now if we start to have more athletes with individual disabilities starting to do this, it shows that it, it opens the doors that, yeah, this is, this could be a norm. This could be something that, you know, anybody could do um, with these issues. So. Well, Jeff, you're, you're a bloody legend. And, uh, you know, and I suppose probably just lastly, what would you say to someone who would be thinking about doing something like this as a guide yeah um i think it just for me um it, it's been really eye-opening in that um it takes a lot of patience um and i don't know if empathy is the right word but like just putting yourself in somebody else's shoes um mm -hmm. you know and yeah well and and looking at it from a different way i mean uh, once you're kind of experienced, there's a lot of things you start to take for granted. Um, you know, for example, I, I did, uh, uh, a half Ironman with, with Kenneth, um, in Maryland in, the uh, in May and, you know, we're about 40 miles into the bike and all of a sudden I'm, I'm riding behind him and I see him, he kind of stops the pedal and he's stretching his legs and he's shifting around on the seat a little bit. And in my head, I'm going, Oh man, is he, is he hurting? What's going on? Like, Oh, are we not going to make it through this? And I'm watching him do it. And after, about two or three minutes, my head just kind of went, you know, back to when I did my very first half Ironman. And I'm like, you know what, about mile forties, when you're going, I'm ready to get off of this bike right now. Like things mm -hmm. just start getting uncomfortable. So I, was, I just kind of gave him a few minutes to like collect himself and just ride. I wasn't kind of pushing him or anything at that point, like not trying to, and just let him kind of sort himself out. And after about 10 minutes, he seemed fine and was good to go again. And, and so, you know, I think being able to put yourself back into thinking about some of those things you maybe take for granted now as a, as an experienced athlete that, that some of these newer athletes are going through is, um, is something that is good to keep at the, at the front of your mind when you're working with them.
Yeah, nice. Hey, well, well, thank you so much for your time and well done on on helping through this experience. And, you know, obviously it's a pretty special experience and amazing effort from both of you involved and uh, keep up the good work. As it's, and thanks for sharing, because I'm sure you'll probably open a door to some people out there who've been doing the sport for a while and thinking maybe they could, you know, contribute back in a way like this because it's pretty powerful stuff. It really is. So. Well, thanks for bringing me on and uh, let me chat about it a little bit. Yeah, no worries. So one thing I loved about this um Jeff's experience and Kenneth's experience is just that kind of giving back to the sport. Oh, I was going to do a high five on that, save that for next week. <laughs> yeah, yeah, because it's that, um, you know, like it's, it, it, it's, our sport is a bit selfish, let's be honest. A bit. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's being generous. <laughs> and uh, But in saying that, lots of people do give back to sport by mm-hmm. supporting triathlon clubs and so on and all the rest of it. But this is, this is quite an empowering experience because mm. if you go through this experience bringing someone to a race and, and you haven't heard this, John, but it's mm. pretty phenomenal what this, this kid's gone through. Um, I don't know, like it would be pretty, I don't know, it's rewarding in so many ways. Oh, it would be. Absolutely yeah. it would be. Yeah. Right. Good so, on you, Jeff. Yep, you believe legend and Kenneth. Well done as well. Okay, John, you want to do a random high five? I'm going for my random high five. One, two, three, four. High, high five. five. This was, yeah, basically. Do we get a rant in here? Because I think there might be a rant coming. Um, no, I don't think I've got a rant. In, oh, maybe I have got a mini <laughs> yeah, rant. In there. Yeah, on. a mini well, you're close to the edge. Let's <laughs> yeah. get him over. It's not till number five. Um, so we had the Oxman here. It's half Ironman race uh, the weekend before last. Got a whole bunch of other events, short course, kids and, and what have you. So this was just a few observations I've had, mainly from seeing pictures and some video footage and also just things that I saw during the day. Okay, number one. When you cut across the finish line, don't stop your watch on the finish line. Give it a few seconds, run through the finish line. Get your photo. Get, because I, I, I have a photographer taking all these finish line pictures and like, at a guess, I'm going to say 40% of them were people uh, touch, touching their watch as they like, yeah. literally on the finish line. So it's like... Not pumping your arms in here, looking yeah. like a legend. So that's tip number one is run through the finish line. You can crop, go into training picks or whatever, you can crop that five seconds that you missed off uh, well, later the race, on. The race director gives you a time. I know, but it's on Strava and things like that. People uh, go, oh, no. Uh, uh. So wait a few seconds after finishing to stop your watch and actually enjoy crossing that finish line and uh, that experience and then stop your watch. Number two, I'll just one, John. Uh, practice bottle handoffs. So you mean mm. when you're going into your transition areas? Practice changing it over. No, when when you're when you're doing the bottle swap. So we had one bottle swap halfway on the bike, and it was directly across the road from the transition. We've seen the pros are woeful at this, or no, some pros are woeful at this. Is when you've got somebody holding a drink bottle, and you're riding along at whatever yep. 30, 40 kilometres an hour, and you're trying to grab a bottle. Part of the responsibility is the person who's handing them off to do yep. it in a good way. But the evidence that I saw, the people were good. doing that, they were handing them off perfectly fine. People just weren't weren't ready for it. So practice your bottle handoff. Get, I reckon the got, art form is you got your arm out long. You've got to have some curve, yeah. Yeah, and then as you're moving towards your hands moving back. Totally. And you're moving back and you're gripping and then you're grabbing and then mm-hmm. you're releasing and you go. Yep, totally. Um, sometimes it's it slips. But more often than not, that the footage I see, it's just that impact is too much. Yep. So just go out in there and practice a little bit. And Bevan said exactly the right thing in terms of the technique. Is it's like when you do the, the egg throwing competition, you know, yeah, you, you just go, yeah, you got, have you some go given with it. it. You go, go with, with it. it. You, you gradually. You, yeah. We should have an egg throwing competition. We should. They're great. They are good fun. Yeah. Yep. Waste of eggs are quite expensive these days. Yeah, really can't afford to do it. Cost a bucket, a bucket egg or so. Yeah, cost of living crisis, I tell you. <laughs> okay, number three, John. Uh, do at least one complete walkthrough of transition 
all the way through. So it's a good visualization as well. It's like go to the swim exit, walk through transition, down to your bike, pretend you're picking up your bike, walk out as if you're going out on the bike, turn around and just walk through every single transition scenario. Um, I don't see a lot of people, but they often look around and kind of forget where the exits are, but I find it really effective just a complete walk through of the transition. So you and, know and, you're and while you're doing that, you're doing a bit of a, a visualization, a bit of mental prep of mm. the process you're going to go through. Mm, absolutely. And do it at the turn, if there's any other turnarounds. So we had a number of people, we had a finish line shoot, and then just to the left of that, you had your run turn. Yep. So you had to go down, if you, pretty much all of the events had uh, more than one lap where you had to go around the run turn. We had so many people ran down the finishing shoot. Uh, patron of the show as well. Um, surname sounds like Hall. Um, uh, <laughs> ran down the finishing shoot, went, oh shit, where's the turnaround? Well, if you've gone and checked that out before the race, it's in the same place it has been every other year. Uh, turnaround is there. So make sure you go through and do a walkthrough of all the points you can. Okay, number four. If you're going to pee on the bike, think about the best points on the course to do it. So you don't do it coming out of transition? Don't do it coming out of transition. No. Uh-huh. Um, and the rationale behind this, I had a comment from one athlete. It was a really cold morning to start with. It got really warm later on. But often in those really cold temperatures, you tend to need to pee a bit more um, when you're coming out of a cold swim and if the, the air temperature is cold um, and this athlete sort of held on all the way through the bike ride um, but if you've done your strategy right on this particular course there's a couple of downhills and that's the opportunity so do a little bit of research into the course um, if it's like an Ironman Western Australia where it's pancake flat then you're kind of a bit stuffed but you know if I'm visualising thinking about Kona 70.3 next year and if I need to go for a pee I'm just just sort of working my way through the course thinking of the optimal places to, to do that where you can freewheel and you can relax um, let it rip let, then let it rip <laughs> and an <laughs> ideal way to get rid of somebody drafting on your wheel uh, number five now this might be the rant it was, yes it could be a bit of a rant okay here we go never have a go at a volunteer um, because so do we have that I th- would think I don't know if they how bad it was. I haven't really got okay. the the intel on that. Um, but we had one particular athlete who rode past a corner. Every corner has a sign on it. Yep. Have cones on it. It's got like a triathlon arrow. So it's pretty and, obvious. And every corner also has a marshal there as well. And this particular athlete rode past the intersection and missed it, missed it, and they went running after him and got him to come back. And I don't know if it was a, a hard, he had a hard go at this person or just saying, oh, you could have told me about this, like. Never have a go at a marshal no. um, because what you're going to find at most events around the world is they are purely volunteers, don't know anything about triathlon, and they're standing on a corner being there for you and fundraising for their particular group. So um, what I would say is if you're somebody who's cruising around the course and not in a hurry, and if you're in that instance, you miss a turn, you went back, you go, oh, thanks for, for being here. Maybe you, you might see a little bit more of this. You, maybe you could stand just a couple of metres out and just give them a little bit of a tip because a lot of them are not going to be triathletes. Um, but if if you make a mistake, it's your mistake. It's not theirs. And you need Unless to they were to say, go that way, and you know who we to. But yeah. Yes. I think the other thing, and it's really interesting actually because in international rugby right now, you're finding, and these are the professional top-level referees are quitting because of the abuse they get. Oh, it's just... um, and it's like... Mate, we're all humans. Mm. You know, if, if someone came watch you at your job today, you'd make a mistake. Like, mm-hmm. no one's perfect. And um, now, admittedly, the stakes are higher when you're doing I'm, professional I'm, I'm sport. I'm bubbling here now, Bevan. Oh, here we go. Here we go. Okay. <laughs> See, we've gone close. Let's go, Jordan. Where you go? It's like the football, footballers are the worst. It's like, how can you little shits have a go at the referee and, like, stand there and try to bully the referee? because yeah, they do pick bullying, like, don't they? 
my God, how, how does it come to It'd be to quite this? intimidating too, wouldn't it? It'd be horrible. And these are like bloody rock stars that are getting paid a million dollars a week. A, a if million dollars a second. Yeah, if I was the football association, it's like, you even say a word, you've got a ban for a month at least. Yeah. And that'll shut them up. Yeah. Oh, so infuriating. Well, it's a massive problem because I was listening to an interview on Radio Sport on the weekend and um, because I think about bringing an orange card into football, mm. so like a sin bin basically, yeah. which they don't have. It's either red or yeah. a yellow, which kind of hurts your next game, doesn't it? Yeah. So um, uh, they were talking to a young ref, and one of New Zealand's top referees, and he wasn't quite sure on it, but he was talking about how in refereeing in New Zealand, uh, there's a 30% drop-off every year oh, bet. For, on all grades. Mm. And mm. it's just because there's just people get abused. There's no gratitude. Yeah. You know? So that's it. This is another tip. We'll just throw another one in there. Here we go. If you're at an event, thank go people. and thank the the technical officials as well, not yeah. just the marshals, because the technical officials get they get no love. Yeah. Like marshals quite often get a bit of love. Yeah. People are farming. The technical officials they're out there to make the race fair for everybody. So it is better for you. Yeah. But uh, how often do they get uh, thanks? Very very seldom. And also, you know, like yeah. So give give love to those people and and be be, be kind. And if you get a drafting penalty. Just about guarantee you were drafting. drafting. Yeah. <laughs> See, for that time you got one, eh? No, uh, I dra- no I'm, I'll put my hand up. That was legit. It was a hard situation to get out of, but I was like, drafting. Fair enough. Okay, last one. Stick around, support others. Um, not just to do that, but in this particular instance at the Oxman, somebody who didn't stick around um, was then, we, we had a draw to, to win a car. Oh, really? Uh, not at this particular race. So this was a national championship series. So there's 15 national championship races around the country, you know, all yep. different distances and, and so on. Triathlon, duathlon, Did you sprint, draw? Olympic, half Ironman, Ironman. Um, and so at each race, you go in the draw to be one of 15. Okay. And we didn't have many people doing the half Ironman. You had a pretty good chance of getting it. And one person I gave a program, he wasn't there. Missed out on it. Somebody else um, that uh, also joins Thomas, out. Thomas Newsom? Thomas Anderson. Oh. <laughs> moved from Wellington, came down. Uh and so now he gives him to draw. So he's going to one in 15 chance. Jeez, that's and cool. we only had about 100 or so in the half Ironman. So wow. initially you got a one in 100 chance of getting in the draw. Yeah, and then 50 and you got to think only 50 people probably at prize giving. Uh, and then, yeah, odds were pretty good. So stick around. Like, a, to support people. But B, spot prize is always good. Yeah, definitely. Okay, there is a random high five on observation from John's recent race, which he's got socks of as well. Uh, let's go to Wanger of the week. week. Okay, what are you talking about? Let's go. Uh, let's look at, look at the numbers now before we even say a number. Uh, so, because your criteria. Yep. Well, let's go with. I'm going to go 83. 83. No particular reason. Here we go. 83. Uh, yep. He is qualified. He has done a swimming, cycling, and running. Eric. Philip, Philip, P H no P R I L L I P P. The ten hours and forty three minutes training from twelve activities, two hours seventeen on the swim, six hours and nine minutes on the bike, and two hours seventeen on the run. So he swam and ran the same duration. Uh, it's a nice balanced week, and Good Eric running. is from Dubuque, Dubuque, Dubuque. D U B U Q U E, Duquer, Duquer, in Iowa. So nice work. And his longest bike ride he's ever done 
213.5 kilometres. The biggest climb is 1,336 metres. Pretty consistent athlete. Looks like he probably peaked around September time. I reckon he did a race because he, he was building up. Then it looks like he had a bit of a taper. Then he had a total week off. Yeah. And then he's kind of keeping fit right now, I reckon. And his biggest ride, it's a doozy. He's basically got a, a doozy. three different passes. And I'm just trying to figure out where the hell this is. Idaho Springs, somewhere near Idaho Springs, near Breckenridge, uh, near Denver. So he's obviously riding through the Alps in Colorado. Looks like a classic. So good on you, Eric Phillip. You are our winger of the week. Of the week. Okay, there you go. Uh, Jombo, we'll go to questions and answers. answers. Comment from last week. We were talking about being popular. Quantana Roo bikes being popular. I guess this is from Brian. Brian who? Brian Hagen. Okay. Uh, I have a Quantana Roo. I really like it, but the main reason I got it is that the USA Triathlon Gear, you get a 20% discount with your membership. Not sure if this is still the case, but was when I got mine. So, yes, it's an American thing. Yeah, that was the thing. The boy talked about the Kona bike count last week. And Quantana Roo, I can't remember if they were top, but they were right up there. I was like, really? Um, but yeah. very much an American thing. And I think that's a representative of uh, how many Americans were probably racing in Kona relative to other nations and around the world. And 20% discount on a bike is a good discount. It is a good discount. You know, you spend, yeah. let's say you spend 10K, there's 8K bike. Yeah, I don't know. If, I wonder if Quantana Roo sell elsewhere around the world. I mean, they certainly don't sell in New Zealand that I'm aware of. And uh, it's not a brand that I've seen pop up at all in Europe, but man, the Europe market, there's so many brands over there. So, um, yeah, Quantana Roo. I'm going to look up Quantana Roo, New Zealand. Yeah. Let's have a look. So least, I, I'm pretty sure they started, they definitely started as a wetsuit company, but I'm not sure if that their origin, origins were from a bike company or not, but very triathlon specific. So no, don't it's, that. it's very much all based on the first page of Google. Mm. Uh, it's very much just trying to take you to their page, no page within New Zealand as such. Mm. Yep. Okay. Uh, Jombo, what we're going to say, the quiz question. So, how long has Blumenfeld been in the game? I'm going to say Blumenfeld's 30. I'm going to say he's not that quite that old. Okay. Well, I am. Yeah. So, I'm going to say, I'm going to say 11 years ago. So, he came mm-hmm. around about 19. Okay. So, 11 years ago would be 2012. 12. Yeah. I'm going to say it's significantly earlier than that. It's going to be my estimation. I reckon he's probably 20. Eight-ish, maybe twenty-seven. I've seen my number, so have a look. And I reckon his first race will be like when he was about seventeen-ish, um, so maybe sixteen. So, oh, that means I end up on the same year as you. Just thinking, well, he's a bit younger. Well, he's in between. He's twenty-nine. Twenty-nine. So yeah, we're both. We're in so I'll, I'll have to put my bet on originally. So I'm going to say. 2023. Now I'm going to take twelve years. I'm going to go 2011 as well. No, I think I went 11 years. I think 2012. Okay, I'm going 2011. Okay, here we go. Who's got this? How old did you say he was? 29. He's 29 now. Yeah, you thought he was 29. I thought he was 30. Mm -hmm. He turns 30 in in two months, so I'm closer. Born in 1994. Yep. So, uh, and let's have a look. He's he's got 97 starts at World Triathlon Events. He's got 35 podiums and 18 wins. That's not necessarily at the top level. That kind of includes... Everything in terms of um, junior races, mixed team relays, regional sort of events and so on. So we're just waiting for all oh, websites. Is, is the internet like broken today Maybe. worldwide? Maybe. Was Maybe. it broken at home as well, was it? Uh, it, it was not. Maybe it's just your place. Maybe it is. We're getting so, an upgrade. No, we're all wrong. 2010. 
Oh, geez, really? Yeah, so he raced at the Athlon ETU European Championships in 2010, and he finished in 52nd place. So how old would have you been then? So that's 13 years ago. Yeah, so he would have been uh, 16. I was right. I was pretty much right. Maybe I just didn't do my maths right. Man, well, no, I, got, I, got, I thought he was a bit younger at the moment. Yeah. So, yeah, I knew he'd done some racing as a junior. So first, first race was 2010, then 20, that was European champs. The next year, he did some junior European cups. He actually won one. I wonder how many of those people are still around. So on 21st of May, he did the Bruno ETU Junior European Cup, which he won in one hour and 54 seconds. Uh, he did finish ninth at the European Champs that year. Uh, and when I look through this list here of athletes he raced against, he won. Um, Yella Geens, who's one of the top athletes now, he finished in fourth place. And don't recognise any other names. Yeah. Well, it's I been around a while. He's had the greatest year in triathlon. This last year? No, no, when he won the Olympic gold. Oh, I yeah. Remember, did he win the 70.3? That, you know, he didn't win the 70.3, did he? I think he might have done. It was when within you kind a twelve of had month the, period. Yeah, within a twelve month period. I think he might have done. It's the greatest year in triathlon ever. You can't mm. beat it. Mm. Oh, very solid. No, you, you can't beat it. No. You can even it. Yeah. But you can't beat it. If everyone yeah. is seventy point three. If you didn't win the seventy point three, then you could say it could be beaten. Yeah. But that was freakish. To go to win the Olympics and then three what, three months later? Win yeah. the, you know, win Kona. I know we can't check all that because the uh, the stats aren't popping up on it, the old interweb, but yeah, yep. very impressive. Where to from here, though? Can he keep doing it at all distances? Mm. Well, he did get back to a pretty decent level. It got ninth at the Paris Test event. Um, aren't, you, aren't you saying that you know the Olympics are the the end of his short course? I would have thought so. Yeah, twenty nine. Yeah. So here's my. I reckon he'll get. Really, it's going to be really interesting to see what happens in the Olympics. If it all comes together and comes down to a running race, I reckon he's getting six or seven. So he's just lost a bit of speed, is he? Yeah, and the others are gained speed. Yeah, but it could really blow out if the front if the Frenchies get away on the swim. Those boys could be just shut out completely, and then he's uh, then he's not getting anywhere in the top ten. Um, but I reckon he'll get sixth or seventh. I have got a question for you. Sorry? What's happened with the hair on your legs? Oh yes, yeah, so there you go. Um, <laughs> Random strips everywhere. Yeah, because I've been getting the laser therapy on my legs, oh. and it's effective in some areas and not so effective in others. And <laughs> one of, I know I've got to go get it dealt to. It's it is rank. I was wondering if anybody's going to notice. <laughs> you're the, first, you're the first person that said anything. <laughs> I think everyone's noticing. Yeah, no one's. Everyone's polite. I'm not. Yeah, because you got this random strip that's going across. The air. Yeah. So I have been getting the old laser therapy on the legs. Yep. My so you've got to grow up, obviously, to get the therapy. No, well, you have to shave it all off when you get it. But my problem is it's not being very effective because my legs are too tanned and oh, you can't um, be tanned. Oh, I'm, I, I, no, I but why is the tan affected? Uh, they can't do the settings, set the settings very oh, high. Well, I didn't know that. Uh, and so it's not being as effective as I would like. So, yeah. So I'm going to go get this removed again. But it's, um, yeah, if you can get it to work, gold. But you just have to wait for the fifty percent off sale. You look like a like you think of a teenager who's trying to grow a facial hair. Yeah. They're all patchy. They're yeah. Yeah. 
I'm very conscious of it, and uh, it's going to get dealt to today now that you've pointed it out. <laughs> Sorry, but it's very obvious. <laughs> <laughs> okay, Iron Talkers. Um, uh, swim set. Oh, you were swim set. Jeez, I thought it was going to be a short show. Uh, swim set today, we did 300 warm-up, doing 50 freestyle, 25 back, 25 breast. And 300, where we did, it was a three 100 build-up. So you do 100 build-up, 100 build-up, 100 build-up. Then we did uh, nine 100s, descend one to three, four to six, seven to nine, and then we booted out, and we did a 425 sprints, booted out the guys that are doing Topol 70.3 this weekend, so nice. that's enough for you boys, you've done, done, uh, you done enough, and then we did 100 drills, and then six 200s, where number one and number three were 50 hard, 50 easy, 50 hard, 50 easy, and the other ones, so two and three, and four and and five and six were moderately hard. 200 warm down, I think it was 3.2Ks. Good times. My right. wife hasn't even mentioned the legs yet, so you're just observant. Jeez, your wife still doesn't even care for you. Yeah, I know. <laughs> used to that. <laughs> I talk is proudly brought to you by... Our patrons. We've got Peter, the Explosion Curry. Richard Speedwalker Swan. And we've got Ellen, uh, the Furious Furret Hodginson. Mm. Uh, if you want to become a patron, go www.imtalk.me. If you want to get your email to you, same place for coaching, coachjohnnewson.com for Epic Camp. Where are you going next year? Uh, we are going to Kona in May. Definitely got some spaces up for that. So if you're keen to come, um, get on board for the Kona 70.3. And then we're going to France in the middle of the year. Haven't got any spaces on that, unfortunately. Then we've got, uh, if you want to do anything with me, it's bevanjamesisles.com. For other content, Podcast at gmail.com. John, what's your goss? And Sorry, the one other one is we're doing a little camp down in Queenstown, doing the Triple Crown around the three peaks down there, Remarkables, Coronet Peak, and... Uh, Crown Range. It's going to be an epic day out there. Oh, really? What's my gospel, Bevan? Is that a day? Yeah, we're doing all three peaks. Are you doing it as a camp? Uh, we're doing a three-day camp, but that's like the, the big okay. highlight of the camp. Uh, no, Where's it going to be? That is in uh, April. Okay, beginning of the yeah. okay. So it's going to be good times. Uh, no, not too much happening in the last week, to be honest, Bevan. Just uh, trying to get back in a groove with a little bit of cycling and just start to rebuild the old fitness and then just getting ready for the next event in a couple of weeks' time. Good old Junior's got uh, national champs down here, the athletics this week, so we'll go watch a bit of that action. Thomas Racing? Thomas Racing's doing, I think he's doing the 3K on the track and then a, a road race. Does he do much track work? Uh, like, is he going to bit. Much? Yeah, and... and um, Probably more in winter than, than summer, a yeah. little bit in summer as well. Um, so that's how will he go? Because obviously, he's racing proper athletic kids, yeah, he'll get a bit smoked by the first few, probably, yeah. But, and he's not in top form, yeah. He, he ran 1535k, which we have him pretty competitive, but he's in when you're his age. You're racing all the seniors, so yeah. he's racing kids that are two years older than him. And so there's a difference between you, but how is he 15? Uh, he's 16. So it can be, can be a big difference. Can't yeah, be? so I don't, don't think this year will be his year, but it's it's in Christchurch, so I thought, what the hell, just go and yeah. do it. Uh, yeah, not much else to report on, to be honest. Just a good old week of trying to recover after a big race weekend. What about yourself? Going for the, the slice this week? What do you mean? Oh, getting a mini operation? Yep, 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 getting a knee operation. What did I do on the weekend? We went to... I did something on, I did something on the weekend that was quite fun, but I can't remember what it is. Mm-hmm. I had my first swim in the pool this weekend. It was baking hot on Sunday. It's great. I think I was talking to young Ellie, and she was saying she went to, was it Jelly Park? Yeah. She was freezing. The po- the swimming pool? Yeah. Yeah. She was freezing. Yeah. Yeah. She wasn't much fun at all. She's got to eat some more pies. It'll keep her, keep her warm. <laughs> <More pies. laughs> while, you, while you're swimming? 
Yeah, yeah exactly. That's what you do. Apply while you swim. Uh, yeah, so I get my knee. I'm really excited about my knee operation, to be honest, because mm. I just want to be able to run again. Mm-hmm. And, and so as much as I've been able to exercise, I love being outdoors running. So that's going to be a good thing to do. I may even try to try do a marathon next year. Maybe. But no, you, nothing hard. When you have your operation, uh, are you under anesthetic or anything like that, or are you just? I think I am. Yeah. Yeah. I love it. I've never had that. No, I've had it twice. I love it. Do not love that. Why? Oh, you just got completely lose control. Yeah. <laughs> and you wake up and it's. I've had it twice when I've had an operation on my jaw, and you just wake up and like, what happened? And then you go, oh, I can't move my bloody. Oh, my that's jaw. a bit different. I, could, <laughs> I just love the, the thing. I love about it is they say we're putting you sleep. And then the next moment you're awake. Yeah. And, and you know, that's four or five hours later, whatever it is. Mm. I just love that. Because you know that, that that's a drug Michael Jackson was on. Mm. He'd have that every night. Mm. Like, unbelievable. Mm. Um, so, yeah, yeah. I, I love the whole process of getting an operation. <laughs> Everything about it. You know, you go in, they put you in. You've got, got to be there at 11 in the morning. I think I'm the yeah. last operation of the day. Yeah. Go in, they give you your food. Yeah. They look up. Everyone's, everyone checks your name a thousand times. Yeah. You know, name, address, so date of birth. So we're operating on the left yep, leg yep, today. Yep, yep, yep. No, no, it's the right. No, no, just joking. It's the left. <laughs> yeah. and, then, uh, and then they come in. They say, well, I'll try to put you sleep. And you think, I'll try to stay awake. And go. Yeah, yeah. And then you come out of it. And last time I had an operation, the lady was lovely. We're having a... I was kind of a never never land, but we're having this mm. deep conversation about something. She was lovely, and then they come and feed you, mm-hmm. and you get your own room, you got mm. a TV, and oh, it's, it's a good time. <laughs> right, I'll go into myself. <laughs> yeah, yep, get my operation, and then I don't know how long it'll be before I can. I think I'll be on crutches for a couple of days. Mm-hmm. He said you can get on a stationary bike pretty quickly, mm-hmm. but I don't think hard exercise is probably going to be a month to six weeks. I think, mm-hmm. and then impact's probably two to three months. Nice. And then I'm going to be a beast next year. Be a beast mode. Beast mode. And other than that, John, no, that's pretty much it. Christmas is coming. Looking forward to that. Good. I've got the work party this weekend, actually. Oh, yeah. My work do. And uh, I'll be on crutches. Mm-hmm. But it's always entertaining. I um, suggested the axe throwing to our um, family for present for our kids and, oh, yeah. our, and the other family's kids. So they're, they're sort of 14 to 16 yeah, months. Didn't, it didn't go down that oh, well. Really? I, I did, they hadn't talked about the kids, but the parents like, those kids can't even throw a dart at a dartboard and you want them to throw axes. Nah, it's not that hard. <laughs> so I think we're going to go for archery instead. Oh, archery's fun as well. Yeah. Yep, yep. Okay, John, let's wrap it up. I'm Russ. I'm Train hard. Train smart. Kia kaha. kaha.